In children, the most common cause of obstructive sleep apnea is enlarged tonsils and adenoids in the upper airway. Infections may cause these glands to enlarge, making breathing during sleep more difficult. I'm Prakash Chandran, and in this episode of Northfield Hospital and Clinic's podcast series slash Kids ENT, we'll talk about tonsils and sleep apnea in kids. Here with us to discuss is Dr. Gerard O'Halloran, an ear, nose, and throat doctor at Northfield Hospital and board certified in sleep medicine. Dr. O'Halloran, thanks so much for educating us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. Of course. So the first thing that I want to know is why children develop swollen tonsils in the first place and how that can lead to sleep apnea. Everyone has tonsils and adenoids. The tonsils most people are familiar with ad, uh, on either side of the palate. Uh, adenoids are essentially a lump of tonsil tissue on the back wall of the throat up behind the palate, so they're out of sight, sort of in the back of your nose. They can enlarge during from infections, whether they're viral or bacterial infections, and sometimes they're just enlarged genetically. Sometimes large tonsils and adenoids run in families. Um, the the issue with sleep then is if you have anything taking up space in your throat, when we fall asleep, our throat muscles relax and the throat gets smaller. But if there's large tonsils taking up space or the adenoids are blocking the airflow through the nose, then the throat may fall all the way shut or nearly shut and cause sleep-related breathing problems. Sleep apnea is the main one. Snoring is sort of one step below sleep apnea where the throat's partially blocked. But sleep apnea is when the throat really falls all the way shut. Yeah, I was going to ask you what signs you should look for that tells you that your child may have sleep apnea. You know, is it normal for a child to snore? What do you, which, what signs and, or symptoms would your child exhibit? Well, snoring is a partial obstruction, and it's fairly common. It's not technically normal because it's a sign of partial airway obstruction. The it's there's some evidence linking snoring even to some of the same symptoms that cause sleep apnea, which I'll go forward with. But the physical things people could watch for, for would be most parents never actually see the apnea episode, but an apnea episode would be roughly a five or more second pause in breathing where the child would be quiet, followed by a little bit of a snort, kind of a as they catch their breath again. Um, the other most people won't see that because it happens more frequently maybe at 2 to 4 a.m. when you're in deeper sleep parents do often notice that children with sleep apnea are very restless sleepers these are the kids that often tear up the bed because every time their throat falls shut they sort of struggle to breathe again and move and that regains their muscle tone and then they're able to breathe children with sleep apnea often but not always prop up on pillows um, my, my daughter had sleep apnea when she was five, had her tonsils and adenoids removed, and the only way we could tell she would have it, other than, of course, I knew she had fairly large tonsils, was she had to prop up on a pillow to sleep, which she has never done since the surgery, and once we were sharing a room in a hotel, and I happened to wake up at three in the morning, and I actually heard her stop breathing, but normally, but otherwise, she seemed very quiet. She didn't snore or anything like that. Uh, a hyperextended neck during sleep is fairly common in kids with sleep apnea, they, they tilt their chin upward and sort of arch their neck. And that's something that people who've taken CPR will know, the chin lift, where you lift up someone who's unconscious, lift their chin up to stretch their throat out so it won't fall shut. Children can figure that out and they'll do it themselves so that they can sleep better. No, no one would sleep that way normally. It's very uncomfortable, but they sleep that way so they can breathe. The 
signs that you might see during the daytime are pretty varied. Children, when they're, you know, some children that have apnea are very tired. Most children tend to tend more towards almost hyperactivity or moodiness that have sleep apnea. These are the kids that all, you know, all kids maybe fall apart around eight o'clock when it's bedtime where they might get cranky. These are the kids that are like that right after school. Um, there's about a quarter or more of kids with attention deficit disorder have been shown to have signs and symptoms of sleep apnea. So there's a big link there. There's, if you Google that, there's well over a million hits on that. Um, the other things that I look for, and sometimes it'll be exact, if it's difficult to tell, and sometimes it is, if there's any airway obstruction during sleep while they're sleeping, have the parent watch the child when they have a cold because it'll all be exaggerated then. Um, mouth breathing at night is, uh, is high correlation with sleep apnea, but obviously doesn't prove it. Got it. So there's little symptoms here and there that you're discussing, kind of like, you know, when they, you know, mess up the bed because of that restless sleep that they're getting. If, uh, you know, the attention deficit disorder also could lead to that, uh, their fatigue levels, like all of those little things are signs that you might want to get things checked out. So let's, let's actually talk a little bit about that process. Let's say you decide that your, your child may suffer from sleep apnea. What should a parent do at that point? Most of the time, the parents would see their regular doctor, but they're, of course, they're welcome to see me, too, just to talk about it and have it evaluated. Children are a little trickier than adults. Adults, we have home sleep studies that are really nice uh, and convenient to do. With children, there's not great evidence yet, at least, that the home studies are valid and very accurate. Um, Oftentimes, I'll make the decision with the parent just based on what they've seen. If they've witnessed the apnea, it makes it very easy. Uh, snoring by itself is a relatively valid reason to take tonsils and adenoids out, although uh, much softer than if you see the apnea. But if the child has large tonsils, behavioral issues, uh, another sign I failed to mention previously was uh, wetting the bed. Older children that wet the bed, that, that often is caused by sleep apnea. Um, so we'll make the judgment based on the examination and all the signs and things parents have noted. Sometimes it's difficult because if the parents are like me, once the kid's asleep, you don't really want to disturb that and you know mess with success. So <laughs> they sometimes will have to go watch the child a little bit more frequently at night or even get up early in the morning if they're up before their child or make an intentionally get up early to check them in the early morning because we sleep in cycles and half the time we're in lighter sleep, so you may not have apnea then. So you have to watch sort of consistently to see if there are signs of airway obstruction or labored breathing during sleep. We can do sleep studies in children. We don't do those here in Northfield. Those are usually done either uh, at Mayo or up at one of the children's hospitals. They're a big hassle to do. You have to go, spend, you know, parent has to spend the night with their child, and sometimes the kids won't sleep well. But if, it's, if the issue's really in doubt, it's a reasonable thing to do because um, you want to make the right decision. Yeah, I can imagine. So it says, or you were saying that the sleep studies aren't necessarily proven to be so accurate with children. So I kind of want to move, because this is the something home, I want the, some clarification. The home studies aren't so accurate. Got it. Okay, the home studies aren't so accurate. Um, but something that I wanted more clarification on is the removal of the tonsils and the adenoids. You mentioned with your daughter, did you you notice those uh, problems in the hotel room, like you said, and then you had those removed and then that that helped? Is Is that what happened? 
Correct. Yes. I, I, we were able to witness the apnea. Uh, and so we saw the apnea. She had to sleep propped up on pillows. Tonsils were big. So I, I did not myself take them out, but I had a friend uh, t- take my, take her tonsils, adenoids out. And since then, she's slept, sleeps better, isn't as restless, and one, one pillow instead of two. Got it. And so she, when she's you still hear... a wild kid, but she's still a wild kid, but it but it helps with the breathing. Of course. Um, so when you normally hear children getting their tonsils removed, um, is it normally f- because of sleep apnea? I've always thought that it was uh, related to tonsillitis or some other uh, disease, but you're it sounds like removing the tonsillitis or the tonsils and the adenoids really can help uh, prevent sleep apnea in children. The mo- so there are really three common reasons that tonsils and and or adenoids are removed, and I'll, and I'll talk about adenoids separately in a moment. The, the most common reason now is not tonsillitis or recurrent sore throats. It, it is sleep-related breathing obstruction. In my practice, probably 85 to 90% of the tonsils I remove are for sleep-related breathing issues. Chronic tonsillitis is also a separate reason to remove them don't don't need to have both these reasons you only need one or the other but the and the current guidelines and there are several different guidelines for how much how many episodes of tonsillitis are enough but typically patients that are having three bad episodes of tonsillitis a year for three years in a row or you know five or six or seven episodes in one year that's enough that's considered by most medical care guidelines a valid reason to remove the tonsils. Of course, you're treating, you know, your child, not some textbook or set of guidelines. If they have, there are, the exceptions to the guidelines would be the kids that are really, you know, that where it's disrupting their life. I mean, you might only have two episodes a year, but if your child's missing two weeks of school every year, that would be considered an exception to the guideline, and you could certainly go ahead and consider getting the tonsils removed. We will, the third reason, much less common in children, uh, fairly common in adults, are patients who get what are called tonsil stones, and they develop bad breath from that. Some patients have little pits or crypts in their tonsils, and little bacteria will grow in there, and it will cause bad breath. Uh, and so if we can prove that that's the cause, that's also considered a valid reason. Obviously, much more elective. It's really patient's choice on that. Um, but that's probably 1% or less of the tonsils that I do in children. In adults, it's maybe 5 or 10% or even more. Um, adenoids can be removed separately without taking the tonsils, and that comes up moderately frequently because adenoids are up behind the nose. So if a child has nasal obstruction, but no sleep apnea and not particularly big tonsils, the adenoids alone can be removed, which is much easier to go through and much easier to do. It's lower risk. Um, We'll also take adenoids out for children that are needing a second set of ear tubes or older children having ear, ear trouble because the adenoids block the eustachian tubes to the ear. And so taking the adenoids out will help most, but not all children with chronic ear problems. Okay, that's helpful. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, as we wrap up here, one last question around, you know, what is the um, effect of an untreated sleep apnea issue in a child? Will, like, will it get worse over time? Um, maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure. And no, no one has a crystal ball, as you know, but some children probably do outgrow this, but not very many. The, the, when they've followed these kids with large tonsils and sleep-related breathing troubles, 
most of them don't outgrow it. There are studies on that. And then they just go on to have the same troubles as adults that they had as children. Um, the, you know, and, and by troubles, I mean troubles, you know, being too tired, paying attention in school. And of course, of course adults with sleep apnea have much more cardiovascular risk as well. Got it. Um, well, I, th I think that's about it, Dr. O'Halloran, and really appreciate you educating us on, you know, tonsils and sleep apnea in children. Is there anything else that you want to tell our audience before we wrap up? I guess the one thing I should clarify is that for children with sleep apnea, as, as opposed to adults, with adults, adults with sleep apnea, we'd usually recommend medical treatment like a CPAP or a dental appliance. In children, the textbook recommendation is tonsils and adenoids are the first treatment because that will cure most children. Yeah, that's definitely something that I gleaned from uh, this conversation with you and uh, something that I didn't know. I just assumed that they would go right to that CPAP machine, but this has been really informative. Um, so for more information, please visit northfieldhospital.org. My guest today has been Dr. Gerard O'Halloran. I'm Prakash Chandran. Thank you so much for listening.